From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 20th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features comments from Senator Lindsey Graham and Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy on former President Donald Trump's pending indictment. We visit Myrtle Beach with former governor turned Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. And the Russ McKinney drills down on the embattled Comptroller General Richard Ekstrom's $4 billion double counting problem. We also have some hefty business news with new inflation data, data. comments from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, and Tom Barkin, President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, this ahead of the Federal Open Market Committee's meeting this week on rates. And join me, along with some other of our favorite friends of the pod, at Kite Hill Brewing for our first live taping of 2023. That's right, Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson, April 13th at 6 p.m. That's a Thursday. We would love to see you guys. We're going to have a big old live taping, talking about the legislature, talking about 2024, maybe even talking to you all, bring some questions, whatever. It's live taping. It's going to be wild, folks. It's going to be so fun. Uh, It's our first live taping, like I said, in 2023. Uh, We can't wait to see you guys out there at Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson, April 13th at 6 p.m. You can RSVP on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. It's free. We're going to have swag. But let us know that you're coming on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Hit that RSVP button. And if you can't make it to Kite Hill, give us a call and tell us why you can't come and see us in person. 803-563-7169. That's the Leeds Voice Mailbox Hotline. We need to hear from you why you can't come. Tell us why your doctor's saying you can't come. Or give us suggestions on where we should go for our next live taping across the state. We need to know where the people want to see us. Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. 7169. Former President Donald Trump is set to be indicted this week, according to him, over hush money payments to women who allegedly had affairs with him. A Manhattan grand jury is looking into the matter and whether Trump committed any crimes in the payment of those funds from his Trump organization that were billed as legal expenses. Over the weekend, Senator Lindsey Graham spoke at the Vision 24 conservative forum in North Charleston with other politicians and Republican presidential candidates Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. We'll have a dedicated 2024 Trailbait podcast on all of that this week, but I want to focus on what Graham had to say about the possible indictment, which he called politically motivated. Well, I think he'll be very quiet. (laughs) Here's what I think is going to happen. The prosecutor in New York has done more to help Donald Trump get elected president than any single person in America today. So let's talk about what they're doing up there. Y'all ready to... Listen, this thing was looked at by the previous prosecutor. Guy had been around for a long I think his name was Cyrus Vance. And the federal government looked at it, and they said, no, thank you. So they elected this new guy. I think his name is Alvin Bragg. Mr. Bragg, you have helped Donald Trump amazing, and I'm sure he will say something to you down the road. Here's what the New York Times said about this. The case against the former president hinges on an untested and therefore risky legal theory 
involving a complex interplay of laws, all amounting to a low-level felony. You know what that means in English? They're making stuff up that they've never used against anybody because they hate Trump. That's what this is. They're brewing a legal cocktail, Tony, to try to come up with some bizarre theory of the law never used by anybody in New York just because they hate Trump. You know why they're doing this? Because they're afraid of Trump. That's why they're doing it. Other speakers, including Haley and potential presidential candidates Senator Tim Scott, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, and former Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, among others, didn't weigh in on Trump. But Ramaswamy, a businessman, did lead off his remarks by tackling it. So I just wanted to kick off today by addressing what I think is or or should be an elephant in the room, which is that I want to be crystal clear that we should not want to live in a country where the party in power is able to use police force to arrest its political opposition. And I do not want to see that day come to pass in this country It is not the subject of my speech here today, but it's too important of a topic not to mention. I'll be outside this room talking to anybody afterwards who wants to be talking about it because I think we need more people in our movement to actually step up with courage in a moment of need. We'll be watching to see if Trump becomes the first former president to be indicted this week. Sticking with 2024, like I said, lead campaign trail bites are back now that we have folks coming through the state. And we'll bring you more in-depth sound bites from that forum this week. That being said, though, I had a whole piece written up for Saturday's pod on former Governor Nikki Haley's first event in the state in Myrtle Beach earlier last week, but I had to cut it and other items for time. But now, now we have time. This is our time. That's right. The former governor made her first appearance in Myrtle Beach last Monday. That was March 12th. So let me transport you to the Grand Strand. That's right. America's playground, home to the incomparable Myrtle Beach. Among the bustling residential and economic boom of one of our fastest growing counties, Ori is a development that truly encompasses it all, Market Commons. Now, I thought I had been there before, but apparently I had only seen part of Market Commons because this place is sprawling. Homes and townhouses everywhere, neatly organized and laid out around acres and acres of green space, with sports fields and ponds and well-appointed strip malls filled with all the conveniences of modern America. This utopia is close to Myrtle Beach International Airport, and less than two miles from the Myrtle Beach State Park campground, just so you guys know what we're talking about here. I'm painting this picture for you because Ori Georgetown Technical College also has its Grand Strand campus in the thick of all of this, which is where former governor turned Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley held her first rally in the state since formally launching her campaign a month before in downtown Charleston. While her big announcement brought out some 2,000 people, this one in a space on the campus mustered about 1,000 folks, which is still nothing to shake a stick at. Now, Haley in South Carolina is different than Haley at town halls in Iowa, New Hampshire, or on some stage somewhere like CPAC. While she still gives her political background, it hits different in her home state, where many people who aren't transplants remember her six-year tenure as governor and have been waiting to see her run for president. Before we hear from some of those folks, here's some of what Haley, who was invigorated by the crowd, had to say. So now it leads me to why I'm running for president. You can look at the news. I don't need to tell you. It's bad. It's bad. We all feel it. You look at the fact that we're $31 trillion in debt. We are borrowing money to make our interest payments. But I always, as your governor, told you the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth now, too. That's not just Biden's fault. Republicans did that to us, too. 
It was the Republicans that passed the $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus that started all of this. It was Republicans that allowed it to pass the House 419 to 6. It was the Senate that allowed it to pass 96 to 0. And as they went and started giving money to pay people to sit on the couch, yes. what else did they do? They expanded welfare. Do you know 90 million Americans are now on Medicaid? Yeah, right. 42 million Americans are now on food stamps? And so what's the Republican response to it? You're not going to believe it. After 10 years, they opened back up earmarks again. They started paying, they started using our taxpayer dollars for pork projects. She also called the extraordinary moves made by the Treasury, FDIC, and Fed to shore up uninsured deposits at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank a bailout, even though investors and bondholders are being wiped out. So you look at all of that spending, and you see how we got into this situation. That's where the inflation came from. That's where we had the supply issues come from. And now they want to bail out a bank? No. no. If one of our small businesses got bailed out or, or, or went into bankruptcy, do you think they'd bail us out? They wouldn't. There's no value for a dollar. We've got to bring that value back. The former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations also told the crowd over the span of her 40-minute speech that she wants to see changes to the entitlement programs, Medicare and Social Security, which have been under fire since several Republicans called for cuts and then backtracked after President Joe Biden called them out during his State of the Union address. Haley posed this solution. I'm going to be honest with you. We are going to deal with entitlement reform. But the way we're going to deal with it is we're not taking it from seniors. We're not taking it to anyone who's been promised anything. My parents are in their 80s. I don't want anybody touching theirs. My kids are in their 20s. Those are the ones we tell the rules have changed. Anyone new coming in the system, that's how you do entitlement reform. You let them know it's not going to be there for you anyway. Because Social Security goes bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare goes bankrupt in five. We have to do something. So we start with those in our 20s. Then we go and we say we're going to change the cost of living to be related to inflation because then it's more fair. You also go and say we're going to limit the benefits for the wealthy. And then you finally say, look, let's expand Medicare Advantage. Let's create the competition. They're great programs. It will cause health care costs to go down. That's how you deal with the budget. That's what we'll do. A big hubbub later last week centered around Fox News personality Tucker Carlson, who fielded surveys to current and potential presidential candidates on what to do about Ukraine. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis called the largest invasion on the European continent since World War II a territorial dispute and said, quote, while the U.S. has many vital national interests, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them, quote. This aligns with former President Donald Trump's stance on whether U.S. backing for Ukraine was vital for Washington. And Trump said, quote, no, it is for Europe, but not for the United States, quote. Haley didn't respond to questions from Carlson, but she has previously spoken on the need for the U.S. and its allies to support Ukraine or risk a domino effect with China being emboldened more so to invade Taiwan. Now, she doesn't endorse sending blank checks or American troops into the conflict, and in Myrtle Beach, she did not mention Ukraine, but hit back on sending foreign aid to bad actors on the world stage. Do you know last year, we gave $46 billion in foreign aid? 
Do you want to know who we gave it to? We're giving it to Pakistan again. We're giving money to Iraq that's holding hands with Iran that says death to America. We're giving money to Belarus that's holding hands with Russia. We're giving money to communist Cuba, which we said was a state sponsor of terrorism, yet we think we should give them money. And yes, we are giving money to China. No. There is no amount of money that you can use to buy friends. You can't pay off enemies. We have got to be smart in America. There is no more time that we need to be sending money to any enemies. It's weakness. It shows the United States to be oblivious. And we've got to make sure that we take care of the backs of our allies, but we never give money to enemies. So we've got to put an end to that. While holding her swings through early voting states like Iowa and New Hampshire, Haley opted for smaller town hall settings with crowds of about 250 to 300 folks. Thanks to her engaging speaking and ability to work the crowd of a thousand, it still felt small and intimate like those town halls that we saw in Iowa and New Hampshire. Joel Wilson of Myrtle Beach said while he voted for President Donald Trump in the past, Haley provides hope for a better future without the baggage that Trump brings. Yeah, I, I voted for Donald Trump uh, previously, and um, I, I probably agree with nine out of ten of his policies as far as what he was able to accomplish as a, um, as a president. Uh, I, I, I unfortunately felt like I was kind of holding my nose uh, in the process, and, and that's not a personal attack on him or anything, but they're just things that I wasn't comfortable with. Nonetheless, the alternative, I, I could vote the alternative. So, uh, but as far as the policies are concerned, I was happy with. I think Nikki Haley brings both experience and a decorum that can really get us uh, on the back on track. And again, we'll hear more from Haley and others that participated in the Palmetto Family Council's Vision 24 Conservative Forum in North Charleston later this week. But if it doesn't make dollars, then it don't make sense, right, folks? Well, South Carolina is facing a bit of a situation when it comes to one constitutional officer that oversees balancing the state's books, among other things. The Russ McKinney has this story about the controversy around Comptroller General Richard Ekstrom in his $4 billion double-counting boondoggle. We've talked about this before on this podcast, and there has been a lot of attention on this problem in Ekstrom's future in Columbia as a result. So, without further ado, let's get this report from Russ. In an unprecedented move Wednesday, a special committee of the state Senate recommended that the General Assembly remove from office Comptroller General Richard Ekstrom for willful neglect of duty. Ekstrom, a Republican, was recently elected to his seventh four-year term in office. As Comptroller General, he is the state's top accountant and financial watchdog. In November, he notified officials that over a 10-year period, he certified the state's financial books even though they contained a $4 billion error in state government's cash balances. No money was missing or stolen, just a huge accounting error. Berkeley Senator Larry Grooms chaired the Senate panel that recommended Ekstrom's removal. For years, the comptroller knew that there was a cash problem. He knew that something was wrong. In testimony before the subcommittee, he called this the long-standing riddle. He double-counted money. Monies came in and, and was never accounted for when it went back out, which overstated our state's cash position by over $4 billion. In the history of accounting errors, this is probably one of the largest, if not the largest, accounting error. A lot of people depend on the accuracy of this report. 
Grooms reported to the full Senate Wednesday that the special subcommittee unanimously believed Ekstrom had demonstrated his inability to perform his duties in office and that the General Assembly should begin proceedings to remove him, transfer his responsibilities to another state office, and begin the process of removing the controller as an elected official. The problem apparently began back in 2014 when state government began switching to a new accounting system. State Auditor George Kennedy testified before the committee that in 2017, Ekstrom's office was advised that it should perform tighter reconciliations of cash accounts for the state's annual financial report. Ekstrom testified that a lack of qualified government accountants prevented his office from discovering the exact source of the error. When his office was able to do a proper reconciliation in 2022, the error was discovered. Here were some of Ekstrom's explanation when pressed by Senator Grooms in a hearing earlier this month. Why did you sign off on the report? Because no one believed it was a material issue. Everyone believed that the numbers didn't tie exactly. No one believed that there was a material difference between what we did and what was showing, uh, what we did with the reconciliation internally and what was showing on the financial statements. During two appearances before the committee, Ekstrom at times seemed to struggle in explaining the complexities of the accounting error. Chairman Groom said members found Ekstrom, quote, nonchalant, incoherent, and incapable of answering questions. Grooms also suggested Ekstrom resign from office. In a statement, Ekstrom said he disagreed with the senator's findings. The Senate panel recommended a removal process that is provided for in the state constitution. A resolution is pending in the House calling for Ekstrom to be impeached. Governor Henry McMaster told reporters last week he thinks it should be up to voters to decide if someone is fit for office. Mr. Ekstrom has been elected and, and re-elected. I, I, think, uh, I don't think we want to become Washington and, and do impeachments like they do there for purely pol- political reasons, in, in my opinion. We don't want to weaponize impeachment, which is allowed by our law. But I think the best answer for all those questions are elections. Members of the House of Representatives this week also reduced the Comptroller's salary to just $1 in next year's state budget as a message of their unhappiness. Thanks to Russ for that report, which you can find on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And you can also RSVP for the Leeds live taping on April 13th, Kite Hill Brewing. The big news last week was the fallout of the stabilization efforts involving Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, both of which were previously shut down by the FDIC following massive withdrawals by customers. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was already set to speak before Congress regarding President Joe Biden's proposed $6.8 trillion budget, but she had to field questions on the state of the banking industry in the country. This is a quick clip, but important information as the markets continue to deal with the ramifications of the bank closures. This week, the government took decisive and forceful actions to stabilize and strengthen public confidence in our financial system. First, we worked with the Federal Reserve and FDIC to protect all depositors of the two failed banks. On Monday morning, customers were able to access all of the money in their deposit accounts so they could make payroll and pay the bills. 
shareholders and debt holders are not being protected by the government. Importantly, no taxpayer money is being used or put at risk with this action. Deposit protection is provided by the Deposit Insurance Fund, which is funded by fees on banks. Second, the Federal Reserve is providing additional support to the banking system with a new lending facility. This will help financial institutions meet the needs of all of their depositors. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. This week's actions demonstrate our resolute commitment to ensure that our financial system remains strong and that depositors' savings remain safe. The other big news was inflation data for February. That's right, folks. The Labor Department announced that inflation was running at 6% for the year in February. Now, this is lower than the 7.9% it was for the year in February 2022, as inflation was running up to its peak in June. So the Consumer Price Index for all items was up 0.4% for the month to 6%, like we said. And core CPI, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, rose 0.5% to 5.5% on a 12-month basis. All of these were in line with Wall Street's expectations and has folks forecasting a 0.25% rate hike from the Fed this week. Now, earlier in the month, before the banking industry turmoil, we heard from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell about raising rates higher if inflation wasn't budging. I spoke with Tom Barkin, president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, on March 8th about inflation, recession worries, and more. Of course, our conversation took place before we got new unemployment and inflation data, as well as that entire banking situation that's currently playing out. It also took place outside the Fed's media blackout dates. But here's how Barkin sees the economy right now, and we talk about inflation and a potential recession as well. Uh, It's a pretty interesting and complicated time. I'd say a month ago it was very clear what was happening in the economy, which was that monetary policy was having an effect. Uh, Demand was uh, cooling, the labor market was softening, inflation uh, was coming down. Uh, The data we've gotten over the last three weeks, though, suggests a very opposite uh, point of view. Uh, The January numbers for consumer spending were quite strong. Uh, The January jobs number was incredibly uh, high, and January inflation seemed to come back. And so we're in one of these points in the economy where um, being on the ground really helps because the data used to say X, and now the data is starting to say Y, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And we can talk more about that, too. And I want to ask ask you about this Wall Street Journal article that I read the other day where the lead was uh, the next economic downturn has become the most anticipated recession in U.S. history. Uh, It keeps getting postponed. What do you make of that? What do you see when we talk about the potential for a recession this year? It's something that a lot of folks were calling for last year, but then we see this economic data coming out in January, like you were saying. How does this all mesh together? Well, when inflation goes up, uh, the Federal Reserve needs to do what Congress asks us to do, which is to raise rates to do something about uh, inflation. And historically, when you raise rates, that often slows the economy and can lead to a recession. And so when people start predicting a recession, it's based on, I'll call it, that kind of history. Um, If you, uh, though, reflect on where we are, though, we're in a very unique time. And that's because of the aftermath of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I often say, the pandemic is still with us, not luckily from a health standpoint, uh, but from an economy standpoint. And so there was a lot of fiscal stimulus put into the economy. Workers still have more than a trillion dollars of excess savings that they didn't have before the pandemic. That's still being spent. The scars of having had to uh, 
struggle to hire workers mm -hmm. are still with firms. And so even if their demand softens a bit, they're not that quick to lay people off because they don't know for sure that they'll be able to rehire them. Um, supply chains have gotten a lot better, but yeah. there's still challenges of getting chips into cars. Um, if you're trying to get cabinets for your house or switch gear for a facility, it's very hard to find certain things. That's still there. The Ukrainian war is still uh, pressuring commodity prices. China is only now reopening after uh, its own COVID bout. And so there's just a lot of these COVID era dynamics that are still with us. And I think they're keeping the economy moving, even though rates have been increasing. And Tom, when we talk about inflation, how do we know when it's becoming entrenched? What are the indicators? We've seen it decline over the past year. Um, of course, CPI is pretty stubborn, though. But what do you what do you look at when we're talking about entrenchment for inflation and how you can really tackle that? So I look at the range. And so you mentioned core CPI, which takes out food and energy. I also try to look at median mm -hmm. CPI, or if, to, if I'm getting technical, there's a measure called trimmed mean CPI mm -hmm. that takes out the 25th that leaves only the 25th to 75th percentile in the middle. Yeah. But I try to look at the range of it. What percent of the commodities in that basket are above our target is a pretty good way uh, to look at it. And um, inflation has definitely persisted. It's definitely broadened. And when you say entrenched, right, that's a word that suggests it's immovable. I don't think inflation's mm -hmm. immovable. But what I do think is that uh, if you're a business for the last 30 years, you've known that you couldn't increase price. Over the last two years, you've known you could increase price. And if you're a business who just increased price successfully, you found inelasticity you didn't know existed, you found a profit driver that you didn't have before, and you're not convinced that you can still do that in the future. It's not entrenched in that way. Mm -hmm. But you're not willing to back off of that until either your customers or competi your competitors convince you you have to. That was Tom Barkin, president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, speaking to me in Columbia on This Week in South Carolina. You can find that entire interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And Barkin is one of several members who sits on the Federal Open Market Committee, which is meeting this week to discuss interest rates. We'll have comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell on Saturday's podcast. And on the way out, I hope you all are subscribed to Indebted. That's the podcast by South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan, which looks at the debt ecosystem in our state. The limited-run eight-episode series drops on Wednesdays and is available on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org or wherever you find podcasts like the South Carolina Lead. Cross-promotion. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news, and we're glad that you're here. That's because this is our chance to talk, to talk about things that are not the news or dealing with time, time space, time's out, daylight, time's gone. Time is gone. That's the voice of A.T. Shire, folks. Thank you, Gavin. Lead producer. Thank you. Thank you. He's here on the Equinox with me. The, uh, happy Equinox, Gavin. Thank you. I also go to that gym. How uh, how many how many eggs have you balanced today? Huh? I had to stop and come over here because I was balancing so many eggs. How many brooms, eggs? <laughs> well, you know, I just started buying them again now that they're under $3. Yeah, it's nice. I love an egg. I mean, that's why you got to... I, I do have an egg dealer, okay? <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to say egg that much because everyone says I say it You weird. do say it differently. A-E-G-G. You say egg. Egg, 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 egg. That's right. I don't like that. Anyway. Uh, it's the Maryland in me. <laughs> Gavin. <laughs> I sometimes do a, a long A. 
I know a lot of people from Maryland, and they say egg normally. But <laughs> anyway, Gavin, we do have a call, okay? The a- hopper is not empty. Egg call. call. Okay? Uh, so uh, it is a longtime listener, longtime oh. caller, friend of the pod, has a nickname. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. Uh, if you're not, I'll, I'll just play for you, okay? Here we go. You ready? Yes. Gavin, AT, hope all is well. Correspondent Kevin checking in, Lexington, South Carolina. Saw the budget items and the big opportunities with Scout coming. And it seems like we have half a dozen or so potential South Carolinians running for president. Maybe that, that but it seems like a lot has made some exciting lead stuff. Really enjoyed all the on-location campaigning episodes and things like that. Starting to get into more specific budget things. That's always good. So. Keep it coming. Been looking forward to all the positive news happening in and around South Carolina and its people. Y'all be good. Hope y'all had a good leprechaun day. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Correspondent Kevin, thank you for checking in with us. That was very nice of him to do. It's been a while. It's been a while. Thank you for calling. Yes. Yeah, he was giving us some uh, shout-outs to the campaign trail. I love it. Uh, Mm. We had a lot of fun up in New Hampshire and Iowa. We had a lot of fun recording those and getting you guys those uh, first-hand accounts, and we'll have more of that coming, too. Like I said, Mm -hmm. the lead trail bites are coming back, baby. Trail bites. And if if you're a new listener, trail bite, it's a little tiny episode. Just a little taste, a little taste. First taste is free. And uh, you get a little episode just because if Gavin really reported on these every single one of these events in an episode, that's all these episodes be would be. Yeah. So we we break them out. They're little quick, little digestible 10-minute long things. Yeah. It's fun. And I want to give you that because it is it breaks up, obviously, this podcast. It breaks it out to that one. So if you don't want to listen to certain candidate who's in town you don't have to worry about that podcast exactly. so um, but it's our way of also just giving you as much information as possible as we are leading up to obviously the primary next year then of course the election itself in 2024 it's gonna but be nuts first in the south baby we got we play a big role you got to be educated i talked to all those iowa new hampshire voters those people they, they know, know their things they're they on want it. our people to know their things yeah. too they say the lead the lead told me this they're talking about the lead all over the country I guarantee it <laughs> and you're right and we do have a lot of south carolina action in yes. the, in all this stuff and i think sometimes i i think maybe we're in the truman show Mm. And I know that I know mm. <laughs> I know that all these people are listeners and they just want to give us content. It's probably why the number one reason why they're running. I don't know though. <laughs> <laughs> just for the lead. Yeah, and all the other networks and newspapers out there. Everything and they're doing it for us. Thank you so much. Yes. Anyway, Gavin. <laughs> time you'll hear us thanking them. What I wanted to get to here was uh beyond the equinox, okay? Mm. I had a rare occurrence happen. I had a culinary emergency. <gasps> That only you could have saved me from. Oh, that's incredibly rare. But you weren't in town. No. So nor nor. <laughs> no. So I no, was I was stuck. I was screwed. And I was like, why isn't Gavin here? He's supposed to be here all the time. So I was cooking a classic Putinesca sauce. Mm. Okay? And I was neck deep into cooking this sauce. And I thought I had everything. And I look. I have no capers. capers. I have no, no capers. capers. And Caitlin's like, do you want me to run out and get it? I was like, no, don't do that. And I was like, I 
I wish Gavin was home. I know he has capers. And he's just somewhere else just eating them by the spoonful. And, and he would probably throw in some out just to mock he me. He's just like, I, I don't need th- this too many now. It was, it drove me crazy. Well, you know, you wouldn't be in that position if you would go to Costco and get the big old jar of them <laughs> for the same price as a teeny tiny jar of them. Caitlin, the, just that amount of capers, she's like uh, uncomfortable with it, okay? Oh. I mean, if you had the jar, you would find all... The world is your oyster at that point because you put a little caper here on your eggs. No, wrong. <laughs> you put some on your chili. No. You put some in your salad. I, I don't understand. I, this is the conversation that I did really, truly want to it's get into. It's because today. no one is doing that because they're too tight with their capers because they're only this much. You get like one ounce of caper. Yeah. So you get six. Let's just say what you get. You get six capers in one jar for $4 mm-hmm. versus the 32-ounce jar for $8, $10, whatever it is. Go off, King. Go and off, And you can just say, let's try it here. <laughs> Let's do it here. Let me see if it's good with my steel-cut oatmeal. Would not advise. I want to rank. I do love that you have, you, like, discovered salt via capers. Well, the good, the and the reason why I, that works so well, especially when I'm talking about chili, for example, is because uh-huh. it maintains its pop of salt, it's right? It's so strange. It's versus if you put salt in your chili I don't and then you let it, it sit. Over the course of the day and then it's time for lunch at noon. All that salt. All that salt's been absorbed. It's settled the to caper, the bottom. <laughs> No, it's, it gets absorbed into the sauce. It's <laughs> that's just, the it, point, yeah. Sure, but I want that pop of salt. You, and that's where the caper I, works its I'm magic. Gonna in, I'm going to introduce you to finishing salt. It's going to change your life. Oh, well, that just that sounds more expensive than the caper. Can we get a top five caper usage from I mean, you? honestly, I haven't been using them that often. I don't even have any in my house right now. So I don't like— no use I, to I, La, 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 la. I don't, <laughs> don't want to hear that. That's disgusting I mean, to the me. the chili, obviously. Um, chili, obviously, any no. Any sort of uh, tinned fish accoutrement. That's fine. Um, that's fine. That's I like it, in the, like it in a salad. I like it with a pasta, you know, if I'm doing a salad— um, not pasta salad, but a pasta salad would be good too. <laughs> you're learning things as you're just as it's coming out of your mouth. <laughs> so yeah, that's all good. Four things right there. And egg. Then you said egg, egg, egg. egg. That's disgusting too. You me. could do a little little deviled egg. Deviled egg, egg. is different. Oh, I don't. Now I, I, I want, really now, you know you got me turned on to capers right now. <laughs> and of course your uh, your chicken dish. What's the one with that is known for the capers? The chicken piccata. Chicken piccata. A chicken piccata. Chicken piccata. Yes. Yeah, chicken, chicken piccata, piccata is great. Is great. I love piccata. But mm. puttanesca too. Don't sleep on the puttanesca. Nothing with putin in it. Thanks. <laughs> it's not that kind of. Uh, thank you, but no. I wish I could say what it means. You should Google what puttanesca means. It's fun. It's a fun sauce. If you like olives. Ugh. If you like stanky stuff, it's mm. a very stanky sauce. You got a lot of garlic. You started with you anchovies. You oh put, boy. You put capers in there. It's very, very good. A little parsley at the end. I would have liked to have come over just to have that. I have leftovers if you want. And I made my own little meatballs. <gasps> yeah, tiny little meatballs the that little I babies. did great. Anyway, Gavin, I think we've hit our cap. We've had too caper many cap. caper cap. Caper and cap. So, I mean, have a good week, okay? Have a good week, everybody. Yeah, give us a shout. Tell us about capers. Tell us about how you say eggs. How, where, uh, where you Easter got eggs. your Putinesca recipe? Yes. I mean, I want. I, I'm, doing capers. I'm trying to proselytize for Italian cooking here. Okay, mm-hmm. everyone can do it. It's Pushing very simple. Agenda, it's very simple. It's uh, it's the Italian agenda. Okay, so I'm trying to sneak it in here. Anyway, Gavin, have a good week and say goodbye to everybody. Thanks, folks, and thank you, correspondent Kevin, for giving us a check in, giving us a shout, and keeping the hopper going at eight zero three five six three. 7169. Be like correspondent Kevin and give us a shout. We love that. You can also give us a review on Apple Podcast. And stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public Radio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. 
It's got him! Hit the button! <laughs> Sean! Don't open that door! <laughs>